powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Now, I did a lot of receiving. Okay, but you, you actually got involved with this guy. Now, McCann with a bullet! A stinger from 19! Jared McCann has points in six straight, and the Kraken have a two-to-one lead. Joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Couldn't come at a better time. Let's talk Kraken with a Kraken player. Jared McCann joining us right now. Jared, how's it going? Doing well. How are you? Uh, fantastic. It's been a really fascinating season for you guys, which, um, you know, it seems like a very general place to start. But uh, obviously the first year is all about learning curve. Second year uh, is this amazing playoff run, a really fantastic first series. Um, What do you kind of like look at this season as in terms of maybe how the franchise feels at large? I thought that, you know, last year we obviously took a huge step and um, not a lot of, I think people really counted us kind of in the playoffs even. Um, And, you know, I feel like even this year is kind of the same thing. You know, a lot of people are already doubting us and, um, but there's still quite a few games left here. So hopefully we can, you know, put some wins together and and, uh, maybe try to sneak in. Jared, four point night for you last night, goal and three assists coming against one of your former teams in the Canucks. What does a performance like that against a, a former team feel like? Is that is that a game where you kind of circle on the calendar and say, all right, they're going to get a little bit more of me, or or do you kind of approach each game as just another one? I just approach each game as another one. Um, you know, obviously very thankful for the Canucks organization for uh, for giving me my start in the NHL. Obviously, that was a long time ago now, so, um, you know, and a few teams ago too. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be thankful for to, to be a Canuck there. Uh, when you're uh, looking around at some teammates, I always like asking players because sometimes people feel like maybe they don't want to talk about themselves a lot. I always notice that with players. It's like you don't want to, you know, toot your own horn too much despite your great night. But it's always easy to talk about teammates and always easy to talk about friends. Which one of your teammates this year do you look at and just say like, oh, man, he's doing great things. And I would love to just shout him out. Well, I'll just I think Burkowski, you know, obviously he's. He's dealt with some injury trouble in the past here, and um, you know, obviously had some some tough uh, tough luck with that. And but you know, he's he's been a guy who you know always brings a lot of uh, just a lot of happiness to our team. You know, he's he's just a guy that uh, always has a smile on his face, and um, you know, on the ice especially, he's doing the little things right right now. He's blocking shots for us, and you know, not a lot of a lot not a lot of skill guys do that. And Um, You know, it just goes to show that, you know, he's got two cups for a reason. So, you know, I feel like that's a guy who's kind of been underrated for us. Jared, you hold the distinction as being the first Kraken player to sign an extension with the organization. What does Seattle mean to you? Because this is obviously when you were taken in the expansion draft, I'm sure there was a lot of unknown because no one knew what Seattle was like as a hockey market. Obviously, there was a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement uh, drummed up before the expansion draft, before that inaugural season. Uh, but now you have, have kind of planted your flag here in Seattle. What is what is this town uh, meant to you and your family uh, as you've kind of, you know, really seen your game, your your stats elevate in your time here with the Kraken? Yeah, I'm obviously so thankful um, to the the organization and to, you know, Ron and um, everybody in the front office for, for obviously giving me that extension and kind of making me a part of, uh, you know, the future of the Kraken. And, um, you know, me and my, uh, me and my fiance have 
obviously been here for three years now and we've seen every part of Seattle and we, we love it. And, um, you know, we're, uh, we're both very thankful for, uh, for, for being here in, in this opportunity. So, um, you know, obviously hockey's it's been going great for me here. And, um, you know, I, uh, I don't know what my career would have been like, you know, if I had not been here and, and not been selected. So, um, you know, sometimes, uh, you just kind of look back and, and wonder and um, obviously it worked out very very well for me. What's the reputation that you guys want Seattle to have? I mean as Curtis mentioned no one really knew what this Seattle team would look like and you guys have been carving out that identity. What do you hope that other teams feel or hopefully feel now about you guys? Just hard to play against every night um, you know no uh, no easy nights off or, or anything like that and I feel like we uh, we've we've shown spurts of that this year, and especially last year, we were a very hard team to play against. So, um, you know, we need to kind of get back to that. Jared, uh, what, what's it like off the ice with with like line mate pairings? I know in like you know football locker rooms, guys with their position groups kind of stick together and hang out outside. Uh, do you find yourself uh, with your line mates just kind of spending more time because obviously those are the guys who you're going to. F- get the most ice time with each and every game. You might need that extra, uh, you know, extra outing to bond a little bit more. What, what's that like with the whole line pairing uh, dynamic across an NHL team? Well, with, uh, with me, Maddie and Evs, we usually do some video. Um, but uh, other than that, like, you know, we kind of just hang out as a group, the whole team. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just mostly video together and kind of that's the only extra time we spend. Hey, kind of a random question, but uh, Brandon Tanev uh, got into it a bit yesterday. Connor Garland. Um, I, hockey fights to me are, as someone who didn't grow up watching a ton of hockey, always really fascinating because there's so many unspoken rules and like a culture to it and and uh, and all kinds of things that someone on the outside looking in kind of has to learn. Uh, what's an unspoken rule of, of hockey fights? I always wonder that when I see this. Um unspoken rule would probably be just i don't know if, if somebody goes down don't punch them while they're on the ground um don't uh don't jump anybody um you know don't cheap shot anybody a or gentleman's you're gonna have fight, to fight. <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of, we keep it gentlemanly here yeah obviously there's a certain point right if, if there's a bad hit or or you know you know he, one of your good players gets hit or something like that and you kind of have to jump in there and that's just the way it goes in hockey. Who's the best fighter on your team? Like if you had to choose someone where you're like, okay, this guy's yeah, who standing. Are you not scrapping yeah, with? this guy's I'm not I'm not fighting with this guy. Uh probably Jamie Alexiak. He's just a he's a he's a big boy. So um, <laughs> he'd probably, you know, wipe the floor with me. Jared, I want to get back to your your goal scoring ability, which is something that has been just phenomenal to watch here uh, in your time with the Kraken, leading the team in goals your first two years with Seattle and also doing the same here in in 2023-2024. When you were brought over in the expansion draft, was that something that maybe the front office and coaching staff had in mind for you to, to unleash that scoring ability, or is that just kind of something that's happened naturally? I think it kind of happened naturally. Um, you know, obviously in junior hockey, I was uh, I was a goal scorer there as well in Sault Ste. Marie, and um, you know, it's just been something that uh, that I've always kind of been good at, I guess. Um, you know, I uh, obviously my you know my first couple of years in the NHL obviously didn't go um, as as well as hoped in that that uh, that area, but you know, I um, like I said before, I've been given a great opportunity here and. Um, you know, obviously I'm on the power play and penalty kill and, you know, obviously I'm playing with two great, great players offensively who, you know, five on five too. So, 
Um, you know, it's just kind of more opportunity right now for me, and I'm just trying to take advantage of it. Boston Bruins are your next opponent. They aren't having quite the unbelievably hot season they did last year. Still first in their division, of course, and a really, really great team. What can you tell me about this matchup coming up here for you guys? Yeah, they have obviously a lot of high uh, high offensive talent, and um, you know, Pasternak obviously a great goal scorer. And um, you know, we need to uh, we need to bear down and focus defensively, and you know, try to shut uh, try to shut them down. Jared, uh, I think the most famous member of your household might be your dog Cheddar, uh, who is obvious, who is uh, a fan favorite and is all over cracking social media all the time. Uh, I believe is Cheddar named after what is it, Brooklyn Nine Nine? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, he's uh, Captain Holt's uh, dog, Cheddar. <laughs> nice. Uh, has the fame gotten to Cheddar's head? Yeah, uh, what's he like now? Yeah, is he is he you know available for for any sort of interviews? How, how does that how does that work in the McCann household? Yeah, well, uh, sometimes people notice them, and um, you know it's it's pretty cool. They don't really pay attention to you know me or, or my fiance <laughs> Val anymore. It's more just like oh, Cheddar, you know. It's, How's he doing and stuff like that? And people love to give him treats, and he, he loves that. He's getting a little sick right now. So uh, gotta, I was going to say. Got to put him on a diet. Yeah, I wonder if you ever have to be like, no, 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 no. You can give us the treat. We'll hang on to it yeah. for him. Like, we got to we gotta ration this out. I love the idea of people being like, yeah, Jared, we don't care about you. It, it, Cheddar is really who we want to talk to. He's so cute. It's it's hard not to. Yeah, he's awesome. He, uh, he loves the attention for sure. When did you guys get him? Uh, we got him. He's actually a COVID puppy right at the beginning, uh, oh. you know, kind of when COVID started. So, um, you know, back in Ontario, we uh, we have a large plot of land out there that he just kind of runs around and does his own thing on. So um, when he comes here, it's more of a uh, more leash for him, for sure. Now, Jared, you mentioned you're you're originally from Ontario. You're from Stratford. Now, don't ask me how I know this, but that's also the same hometown as Justin Bieber. And you and Justin are very, are okay. very similar in ages. I think you guys are only a year or two apart. Did you ever come across him at all? Because I, I know he's a big hockey fan, too. He was all over the NHL All-Star game. Uh, like, is what is Justin Bieber in Stratford, Ontario? Like, is, is that how we view, like, Sir Mix-a-Lot out here? Actually, like, we never crossed cross paths or anything like that um you know he uh we have kind of some mutual friends um but no we never really uh never really touch base or anything like that uh, obviously he's a very very famous person and pretty probably pretty busy guy so um you know maybe maybe one day we'll we'll uh yeah we'll cross paths i don't know jared i think you should start claiming to be the more famous person uh, to come yeah. out of that you know what i mean i would be like i i'm the, the i'm the chosen one I've, from this i've town. never seen justin bieber score 40 goals in a season thank you <laughs> yeah, no i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna stay in the shadows i like that uh all right um jared uh just to kind of you know slowly wrap things up kind of last one for me and it's really generic but it's always kind of nice to hear too from uh if you were pretending that, you know, someone doesn't watch like a ton of hockey and they want to be able to follow what's happening for the rest of the season, what's a goal like actually on the ice for you guys this year that this person can watch and be like, Hey, like, I feel like this was a really good game. We accomplished what we needed to. I just, I think that the better we play defensively, you know, like the, the less goals we give up, the less chances we give up you know, the better team we are because we have, we have a lot of guys who can, who can score goals on the team. And, um, you know, sometimes I think that we, we um, focus on offense a little bit too, too much. And, um, you know, it's, we've got two great goaltenders who, who have been awesome for us. And 
um, you know, we need to, to kind of get back to playing defensive mindset first. And, um, you know, the, the goals will come once, once teams start to loosen up a bit and um, try, to, try to push the offense our way. And, um, you know, that's going to give us our chances. All right, last one for me, Jared. Uh, Tim Hortons or Starbucks? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh, you don't no. know. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. I'm not a huge, huge coffee guy, but, um, geez, I don't know. This might get, you might get me in trouble here. I mean, if you have to go buy like pastry options and donuts oh. alone. Oh yeah. 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 yeah I'm I going, mean, I'm going Tim Hortons for sure. Okay. Yeah, that's you got to do it. You gotta do it. It's an acceptable but, answer because uh, Starbucks has like one donut. Yeah. You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> the, the the cake loaf. Good, yeah. We're not trying to get you in trouble with, with big Starbucks. So <laughs> yeah. leave Jared alone guys. <laughs> he is Jared McCann. Kind enough to join us to talk about the Kraken uh, on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook hotline. Thanks so much, Jared. We appreciate your time. Thanks for having me guys. Let's get to four down territory. This is Four Down Territory, going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. Stacy, first down to you. Yesterday during John Schneider's uh, sit-down interview with Wyman and Bob, he mentioned that the Seahawks are going to do something a little different at the Combine this year. The coaching staff staying home instead of attending. So... What do you make of them leaving the coaches in Seattle? Now, at first, I thought, oh, that's such a bummer. Think of all the great college connections that so many people on this coaching staff still have, either coming very recently from the college ranks or literally being hired out of the college ranks. I mean, in a lot of great schools represented, whether it's USC, Michigan. But while some people are freaking out, I'm not for a couple reasons. First, the Seahawks will be well represented. It's not just John Schneider showing up without Mike McDonald all by himself sitting in a booth with no one. It's an entire front office. It's scouts. It's team, uh, you know, personnel experts. They're all there taking lots of notes. Secondly, you're still going to have a chance if you're the coaching staff, if you're Mike McDonald, to talk to a lot of these guys. Don't forget, you still have top 30 visits. So, you know, while you're going to go to the combine and you're going to get a chance to see these guys in person and talk to them. That's not the only opportunity for some of the guys that they already know they're interested in. Thirdly, this dynamic has changed a little bit. Pete went because Pete had a say in personnel. Mike McDonald doesn't. I don't think it's some power thing by John Schneider wanting to go do this himself. I do think this is kind of a one-off. I would guess Mike McDonald and some coaches are there next year, but they just got hired. Like, they just got here. They just announced their coaching staff. They have so much groundwork to lay that I get the decision. Second down. Stacey, we got news this morning that the NFL salary cap is going to go up significantly in 2024, about $30 million extra compared to last year. So what does it mean for the rest of the league? That every other team has more money. Darn. And I know <laughs> I know that someone heard that and was like, duh, that's the most obvious thing I've ever heard. And you're right. It is the most obvious thing you've ever heard. But it's also an important way to look at it. I say it for two reasons. One, it means the price for free agents will also be affected. That includes free agents that Seattle will be looking at. Teams have more money to spend on these guys, and their agents know that. Also, when you have free agents that bring in more money and free agents are, it feels like almost always overpaid just a little bit, given that it's an open market. Um, it affects what guys on your own roster could be looking at in the future. So there's an impact here on the future market for certain positions. Two, a few, team, a few teams just became very, very interesting. One of those teams is not the Seahawks. I mean, they have 13 million. They're still going to need to make some moves. The Seahawks are interesting because we're wondering what they're going to do with Jamal Adams or what, you know, if they're going to restructure Tyler Lockett. But teams like the Bears, the Patriots, Commanders are interesting because they have a 
Brinks truck to spend in free agency. And also two of those teams own picks number one and two overall. All three teams were horrible in 2023. Two of them, well, all three have the resources, two of them with the resources and draft picks to really have a turnaround in 2024. I'm fascinated by their off seasons. Third down. Stacey, if you were Kirk Cousins, you'd have a lot of chains. A lot of Coles. A lot of Coles. Yeah, a lot Coles of Coles cash. Coles cash. Yeah. Coles cash. Um, but also you'd be an upcoming free agent. So where would you go if you were him? We talked about it a bit yesterday, so it's not going to be a surprise. This is also uh, a destination that Kirk has been mocked to before, in addition to Denver, Atlanta. It's tempting to try to stay with Minnesota. They've got Justin Jefferson, who's one of the best weapons in football. Obviously, you're familiar with the city, with the program. He's got kids there in school. You already have a home there, and I get it. And maybe he will stay in Minnesota. Maybe he and the Vikings will work things out. They can't franchise tag him, but maybe they get a new deal done, and it's short-term or something. But... If I'm him, maybe I'm eyeing Atlanta. And it's because of the coaching and also the weapons. So you got B. John Robinson, Kyle Pitts, Drake London. Hello. They've accounted for three top 10 draft picks for the Falcons in the last three seasons. Unfortunately, the Falcons using all these top 10 picks on, you know, skill position players without going to get a quarterback. So why not bring in an experienced veteran to throw to them? And I know that there are people that say, well, when Kirk went down, the Vikings were four and four. And, you know, isn't Kirk Cousins kind of always a bridge guy? Just because Kirk Cousins isn't Patrick Mahomes doesn't mean Kirk Cousins can't be a very, very good quarterback. I would also pin a lot of those losses in Minnesota on the defense, which was falling apart early. Kirk Cousins was actually having a career year leading the league. And I believe at the time, passing yards, touchdowns, interception percentage, like it's as in like low touchdown interception percentage. It's it's really a shame he got hurt because he was having himself a heck of a year in a career season. Um, Also, really want to point out, they got a new head coach, Raheem Morris. We don't know what Raheem is going to look like as head coach for the Falcons, but earlier when the Seahawks were in the midst of their coaching search, we were joined by Rams play-by-play man J.B. Long for a really interesting conversation on Raheem Morris. Raheem happened to get hired later that day, so he kind of sold us on the idea of like this really fun, awesome, uh, loved defensive coordinator and then we were like, well, maybe we want Raheem Morris. News breaks that he's going to be hired in Atlanta. And I kind of so felt much sad. That. I felt a little sad. I mean, I didn't think that the Seahawks would realistically get Mike McDonald. So I was kind of I was kind of bummed hearing that news. So if I'm Kirk and I hear these great things about, you know, Morris, and I know that they have great weapons, I'm thinking about it. I kind of think that with Matthew Stafford having as much success as he's had with the Rams, that it's going to become a lot more commonplace now for these veteran quarterbacks. Yeah who have shown the skills to get the job done, but maybe just haven't had the team around them. Uh, we've seen it with like Phillip Rivers in Indianapolis, uh, Derek Carr. And still that don't know team if, was good. Yeah, Der- still don't know if Derek Carr is going to be able to turn things around in New Orleans, but you kind of see it now every offseason in the years since Stafford going to L.A. that like maybe it's worth taking a shot on these veteran guys because – you're not going to have any sort of learning curve with him. You know that Kirk yes. Cousins is going to come in and, and pass for probably 4,000 yards. Well, year. and, you know, credit to and Nelson and Kent sent this earlier uh, as an argument that people have against Geno. But you can also say it for almost any quarterback. Using the phrase, but can you win a Super Bowl with him, is a good way to c- try to look at a quarterback's ceiling and how he can elevate a team. 
But if you also look at it very realistically, there are lots of amazing quarterbacks to which I would answer yes, who have not won Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd say yes to Joe Burrow. I'd say yes about Josh Allen. I'd say yes about Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert. None of those guys have won. So um, this idea of like, you know, oh, but is the ceiling a Super Bowl? It's so hard to do. It is so impossibly hard to do. Just try to make your team as as good as you possibly can. Fourth down. Stacey, what first round surprise would you love to see? I'm getting messy, Curtis. And you know how we love love mess. Uh, So (laughs) when I am looking at the top three teams uh, in the draft, unlike last year, all three need to find a franchise quarterback. You've got the Bears at number one. Thanks, Panthers, for that pick. Uh, You've got the Washington Commanders at number two. Most people expecting it's going to be Caleb Williams at number one out of USC and either Drake May uh, or maybe Jaden Daniels at number two. Then you got the Patriots at number three. Oh, my God. So much for getting Tom Brady in the sixth round. They're going to be able to find their franchise quarterback should they decide to get one there at number three overall. Then it gets interesting because while the Cardinals could certainly use the number four overall pick to, you know, fix that defense, while the Chargers could certainly get an elite pass catcher at number five and they need one, one of the older uh, receiving uh, cores in football. Might there be a quarterback needy team that, you know, tries to jump in there and just inch into the top five? I mean, I am really fascinated, really fascinated at what happens with the Giants at number six. I don't know that they're going to move on from Daniel Jones. They might have to wait until 2025 to do that for contractual reasons and dead cap reasons. But what happens with the Denver Broncos at number 12? Yeah. What happens with the Raiders at number 13? It's one of those interesting spots where you have just enough capital that if you package it with another first round pick or you know, a couple second rounders, you can move up a couple spots. So I'm, I'm eyeing those three teams in particular, the giants at uh, six and then just outside the top 10, number 12, Denver Broncos, number 13 Raiders as potential teams to move up. And I, I, if I were the chargers and Cardinals, I would hang on to those picks, but I want to see a trade into the top five. I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, That's what you want to see on draft God, day. If you're the Cardinals sitting there at what pick number four, and it sounds like Kyler Murray has gotten the vote of confidence, confidence from Jonathan Gannon. Like you're not in a position where you need a quarterback. Yeah. Like, do you sit there and stay and, and draft one of the, one of the draft's best receivers, like an Adunze, let's say Marvin Harrison Jr. falls down to you or you package that pick, move down a couple spots for a team that's like Atlanta or a team like the Giants. Yeah, where you can who, still get. Yeah, where you can still get best. a really good player and then maybe pick up an extra first along the way. Because they also have the Texans first round pick, pick number 27 from last year's trade where they moved up to get Will Anderson and mm-hmm. pick number three. Arizona, I hate to say it, Stacy, but like. They've got a lot of forward momentum right now. I know. I don't like that. I really don't like that. You know, we tried for a while to repackage the NFC West is really struggling. Like, oh, just, you know, maybe it isn't that. Why did anyone ever think that? What are you talking about? The Rams won in 2021. The the 49ers have just been in Super Bowls and and back-to-back NFC conference games. The Seahawks are still pretty competitive. They want to get better, and here come the Cardinals. I hate this. I hate it. Curtis has found a common thread with Super Bowl winners, by the way. That's coming your way soon. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. 
It is the timeline on Bump and Stacey Curtis Rogers in for Michael Bumpus today. I'm going to get started in the NBA, kind of, not with active players, before we jump to a really cool event from the Mariners. First, Chicago Bulls legends uh, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, and Luke Longley are um, on tour to refute, refute excuse me, certain parts of the last dance. Now, we knew that people took issue with parts of this, and we also knew that the entire thing is obviously was obviously produced by Michael Jordan, so it's going to be his story from his point of view I still think it's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen, but I get wanting to share your side of the story. Pippen and Michael Jordan are no longer on speaking terms, by the way. But Michael's son, but their kids are dated, or no, Scotty's not their kids. Ex-wife, yeah, his, yeah. yeah. So no, no, actually, still dating. So I thought they broke up. There was a rumor that they broke up. This is uh, this is Marcus Jordan, Michael Jordan's son, and Larsa Pippen, uh, obviously Scotty Pippen's ex-wife. Uh, yes, she is older than him. There was a rumor they broke up because they were both posting to Instagram and like unfollowed each other. And it was like, okay, they're making it very clear that they're, but then they were spotted together on Valentine's Day. Oh, so yeah. So it's in one of her castmates on Real Housewives of Miami. And then I'll stop has since accused this of, of just being like a, for like a PR stunt. I can understand why Scotty and Michael probably aren't on speaking terms. You know, like those two Pippen was in the last dance. Like he was featured quite a bit um probably gave interviews where he didn't know what the final edit was going to be like yeah uh, where scotty looked like he was very ungrateful but Mm -hmm. i mean he played for like the cheapest contract of of any superstar in nba history horace grant accused of leaking michael jordan stories to the media during his time with the bulls and then luke longley just wasn't a part of it and he was the starting center on the 96 97 and 98 champion bulls teams I feel like Scotty and Horace, uh, like they got a lot to say if they're willing to go on a tour. I know I don't know where the stops of this tour are. I imagine it's just kind of around the Chicago area, but like to be, to feel that strongly about your portrayal in a documentary series, uh, they've probably, uh, you know, they're probably feeling some type of way. Would it be, I, I genuinely don't know. My gut would tell me that the response would be to release your own special, like a one hour kind of sit down interview, even like a dateline type like thing. A, like go on tour is kind of like. It's like when the president gives the State of the Union yeah. and then the opposing party gives the dissenting opinion. They're like, Well, here's where you're wrong. Yeah. Mr. President. I'm just a little surprised at the approach of going on tour. Now. In my mind, I'm like, well, maybe they're combining this with some kind of other event that they want to do or or maybe they want a Q&A or maybe they want it interactive. But I guarantee you more attention would be brought if everyone could just watch you sit down and talk about it. And I actually think that it would be better. What I would be more interested in, no offense to the other two, would be just Scottie Pippen. Yes, like if just Scottie Pippen had like a here's my story and you know you produce it up you know bam 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 the last dance and they have like footage of the last dance being like you know all these awards that it's getting and then they're like but what really happened there you go and yeah. I would watch it I'd be like this is great I'm I'm tuning in for this for sure like Horace Grant and Luke Longley don't do it for me they don't have the star power that's gonna grip you the way Scottie Pippen does like Horace Grant a very solid starting power forward in his day. Luke Longley, I wouldn't consider him a star player. He just was a useful seven-footer uh, that that Bulls team needed down low. Uh, so, 
yeah, it's it's, it's Scotty Pippen's show. Like that's why people would be showing up to this. Well, to it's a compelling his, story, like you is. said, the idea of being underpaid, of being feeling like you're being painted in a bad light, of being integral to someone else's success and then right. feeling like you're the Robin to his Batman. Like uh-huh. there's such a compelling story there that I would love to see explored in a documentary rather than a tour. That's all. That's that on that. That's that. Next up, the Mariners have announced an opening week warm-up event taking place Sunday, March 24th. That's a, a week or excuse me, a month from this weekend. From the press release, at the events, fans will take over the ballpark with behind-the-scenes access, plus get a front-row seat to watch the Mariners' spring training game against the Chicago Cubs on Mariners' Vision, which is at 1.10 p.m. Uh, Mariners' legends and future stars will be in attendance for various interactive fan experiences, which is fun, and then share what they're most excited for for the season. So some highlights include running around the bases. You get a pitch in the Mariners' bullpen. Uh, obviously, lots of photo opportunities, including photo opportunities in the dugout. Uh, uh, you get to hear from the team down in Arizona. There's going to be autograph and photo sessions. Lots of really cool stuff. So I don't like know you this. guys know about that. They, it's been a long time since the Mariners have done Mariners Fan Fest, which was their annual like midwinter sort of gathering at T-Mobile Park. It was a two-day event. I I went all the time as a kid. It was so much fun. Uh, I would do the trivia contest. I would win the trivia contest, not to brag or anything. I'm not surprised at um, all that you offered exactly. that up, though. And uh, it was just a great time. Now, in the last few years, so there was obviously COVID, 2020, and then the Mariners had that, what, Enchanted? It was that, like, Winter yeah, Wonderland walkthrough. Really and then last year, it was the Winter Classic. So the stadium has been used or there have been unforeseen circumstances that have not allowed for fan fest to happen. So I'm glad that they're able to kind of make something happen before the start of the season uh, to get people in the mood for Mariners baseball. Uh, yeah. What kids 14 and under are free. Yeah. So tickets are only 10 bucks. Uh, and All then right. like you said, kids 14 and under are free. Um, and then uh, there's a difference in when gates open, whether you're a season ticket holder. Um, it's noon for all fans, 11 a.m. if you're a season ticket holder. Uh, parking at the Mariners Garage is $10 while spaces last, which I think is the best part of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you still have to pay for parking. You don't You don't have to. You could find free parking downtown, but uh, a $10 parking spot versus much more. I'm on board with that. Yeah. Um, I'm quite all right with that. Uh, yes them having a, a fan event because yeah. it's been a long time since we've had one. Here. I know. I love that. Uh, let's see. Do we have enough time for our last story? We do. Okay. We'll get to it here. Uh, NHL referee Garrett Rink kept it. <laughs> I love this. Kept it a hundred uh, when giving a no goal call. If he hits it with his stick above his head. You're not going to like it, but the call on the ice was correct. <laughs> no, that's some good uh, description there from Garrett Rink. No, that's during Thursday's Islanders-Blues game. I am here for refs adding just a little more flavor to their calls. You're not going to like this one, yeah. but it's no goal. You know what I mean? Where it's like they raise their hands and they're like, uh, uh. <laughs> pass interference to the defense. Oh! Oh! Just, Were they really yeah, sell it? Instead of saying offensive pass interference, pass interference. Number 14, DK Metcalf. No! Like, what? No! kidding me like it's just it's just make it fun you know what i mean a little a few theatrics throw them in there i know there's some refs in the nfl that love to get really technical Be- with their become words. the show exactly and like 
that gets really annoying. But if refs like were honest with, if they broke the fourth wall, which is what this referee did, yes, and addressed the fans like, "Hey, sorry, this is what we saw. You're not gonna like it, but no goal." I think we I think we could use way more of that in sports. Absolutely agree. Uh, we are going to talk about the Seahawks, get into some NFL talk with Robert Turbin joining us in about 20 minutes. Before we do, though, Curtis found a common thread with Super Bowl winners. Don't go anywhere. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross. You guys, I feel like I didn't do a good job of explaining to you during the break that viral story. <laughs> You didn't sound shocked. It had, or you didn't sound as, as, as enthralled as I was. It had a lot of branches it, to it. It did, but that's why things sometimes go viral. Sometimes it's something simple, <laughs> and then sometimes it's something complicated. And in this case, it was a guy who made a reservation at a restaurant, then couldn't go, then... then and got, like, doxxed by the restaurant? Yeah, then contested a $250 cancellation fee, and this entire story went viral for all kinds of reasons. And it's just, <laughs> I'm not doing it justice. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about now. I'm just disappointed in myself. Curtis Rogers, and for Michael Bumpus, Curtis, you found a common thread with a few Super Bowl winners, and it's not going to necessarily surprise people, but it's important to talk about. What was it? Yeah, I'm looking at just Super Bowl matchups over the last like five or six years, and obviously the Chiefs have kind of dominated. Uh, the you know winning three of the last five, being in four of the last five. But even looking at their opponents, you kind of notice some common threads uh, shared by all these teams. And one that I saw that jumped out to me was just kind of how good the defensive line play has been for each of these teams. The Chiefs, obviously with Chris Jones and uh, at other various points, have had, you know, like uh, D. Ford, Frank Clark. They had this uh, former first rounder that they got late who's like, what's his name? Cleoff? Cleoff, uh... George Karloftis. Karloftis. Yeah. He uh, had ten and a half sacks for him. Exactly. Um, and then the 49ers this year, we all know how good their defensive line was. Last year, the Eagles, 70 sacks from that defensive line, an NFL record. Uh, they were fantastic, uh, nearly beating the Chiefs in that Super Bowl. Even the Bengals in Super Bowl 56, they had a top five rush defense. Trey Hendrickson, 14 sacks. Uh, the Rams, obviously, with Aaron Donald. And I think they also had uh, a couple other well-known, I think, uh, Fowler. Uh, he was on that defensive so. line. Uh, how about the Bucks in 2020 with Vita Vea on that defensive line? One of the best rushing line. defenses in football. Shaq Barrett uh, was fantastic at getting to the quarterback. 2019 Chiefs and 49ers again the Chiefs with a great defensive line 49ers same thing that year that 49ers defensive line still had Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa but it also had DeForest Buckner it had D Ford Solomon Thomas like it had a lot of really good uh, defensive linemen what I'm saying is is that if you want to win a Super Bowl or even make it to a Super Bowl recent history would tell you that you have to have that defensive line shored up if you want to even sniff the big game. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think a lot of listeners would say, you know, well, obviously, um, but I think sometimes when we see a problem so consistently, it almost starts to disappear and we try to find a new problem, if that makes sense. So um, I'll use the offensive line as an example, though it's not what we're talking about. Uh, the Seahawks offensive line has never been elite uh, while Pete Carroll was here. 
And uh, they were great at other things. Obviously, they had one of the best defenses in football for a time. Uh, but the offensive line probably had its best season in their Super Bowl season. Still yeah. wasn't like a top five, top ten unit. I think they were the highest paid offensive line, though, that year. Yeah, and they had a high first round pick on there. Like, it's, you look, it was a solid offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has not been great. And I remember, you know, being a Seahawks fan in my 20s, you know, reading blogs or reading articles, that an offseason conversation was always, 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 well, what are you going to do behind this offensive line? Like, it it was just constant. Um, And then, you know, as you start to, you know, get into more recent seasons, it was like trying to find different problems. And it's not that those were wrong. This team struggled to get its run game going consistently. The defense really started to struggle. Um, but it's almost like we got bored of recognizing that there was a clear problem. It doesn't mean the problem isn't there. And this is a very convoluted thing to say, but what I'm saying is there is a very simple thing in football, which is be good in the trenches. And sometimes it's so simple that we start trying to find all these other secrets to being a great team. And we kind of forget that it's just get the best players you possibly can and beat people up at the line of scrimmage. (laughs) Like sometimes it really is that simple. And you can look at Patrick Mahomes and you can look at these special pieces that different teams have, but that's kind of the icing on the cake. Like the very like bare bones truth to football is that you have to be good in the trenches and the Seahawks have not been. And it doesn't matter if you have DK. It doesn't even matter if, you know, uh, Geno Smith suddenly comes back and looks like comeback player of the year type season again. Like all of that is going to be fine, but not necessarily make you a true contender until you get better there because that's just the truth of football. It is. And the Seahawks best years, you kind of, you would assume they would have learned from them and look at how good their defensive line was and said, we want to replicate that year in and year out. And maybe they kind of fell victim to being like, oh, this guy could play like Michael Bennett. And it's like, ah, there's only one Michael Bennett. There's only one Cliff Averill. There's only one Brandon Meebane. Um, But like that shouldn't have detracted you from at least, you know, trying to make it work. And their drafting on the defensive line, I think, was a big reason why they never were able to Can find I that. Can I interrupt? We only have two minutes, but yeah. I want to throw you this question to kind of move this forward. Yeah. Your initial point was, look, the pattern that's very clear over the last several Super Bowl teams is they have excellent defensive lines, and the Seahawks need a better one. In our last, you know, two minutes here, why do you think they haven't been able to find one? Because they know that too. They know that you know, yeah. being great in the trenches is important. Why haven't the Seahawks been able to really get an elite defensive line? I think it's drafting one. They've tried and tried and tried with a lot of guys at the end of the first round, early second round, with a lot of mixed results, mostly bad results. The two best defensive linemen you had that you've drafted were Jaron Reed and Frank Clark, and you let both of those guys go. Jaron Reed, the the way he left town the first time, that was a really weird situation where he was kind of – he was due for a raise and, and yeah. like ended up getting cut. It, it was, was a little bizarre. Messy. Yeah. And then you trade Frank Clark because you had given up so much draft capital in the years prior to that with trades for like Sheldon Richardson, uh, trades for Jimmy Graham and whatnot. Like you were kind of forced to, 
do something in order to get a first round pick back so you could have, you know, multiple picks in that draft. I think they went from having five picks in that draft to ending up with 11 by the time the draft finished up. But like they didn't bring either one of those guys back until, you know, after they had played probably their best years in the NFL, spending time, both spending time with the Chiefs. Uh, Jaron Reed went on to play for the Packers for a year before coming back to Seattle. But yeah, I think drafting was a huge reason why the Seahawks weren't able to replenish that defensive line. Now, was it where they were drafting at, which was at the end of the first round for a number of years, and you're not necessarily drafting uh, the best of the best at that point, but you see some guys that did get picked at the end of the first round, TJ Watt being like the most obvious name that the Seahawks could have had. I think so too. Right. Yeah. So, he could have been had. I mean, all these guys that weren't first-round picks could have been had. Um, but if the Seahawks want to be able to play championship-caliber football, the defensive line, and, and I think that's why Daniel Jeremiah mocked Byron Murphy, Texas defensive tackle, to the Seahawks. Uh, I think that's why he has the Seahawks looking defensive line in that pick because like, the line of scrimmage has been – a disaster for the Seahawks for a number of years now. Well said, and you're absolutely right. In fact, we're going to start here in our conversation with Robert Turbin. You said that's what the Seahawks need to do if they want to become a championship team again, which they certainly do. Let's ask Robert Turbin what he thinks they need to do. That's next.